0: Alright, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show is our second long-awaited, long-delayed movie with Josh Bell. And today we are talking about Vox Lux, a very polarizing film from Brady Corbett, starring Natalie Portman as a singer whose life has endured all kinds of tragedy along the way. Um, this was a film that came out back in, I believe, November, and we recorded this episode uh, however, by the time we did get to record it, it was already leaving theaters, and so I figured I'd save it for VOD, which it just came out this month on VOD, and you should all go watch it if you haven't already, uh, because, of course, as always, we will be getting into plenty of spoilers on the episode. So, uh, you know, that is your warning. Um, so before we continue on with the conversation, um, oh, I guess you should have a warning as well that this movie is a very difficult watch, um, but... I enjoyed it quite a bit, and Josh Bell did not enjoy it, uh, so it's, it's good to have Josh Bell. The Josh Bell of Josh Bell hates everything on this show because he's liked most of the movies we've discussed, um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, before we get to that conversation, I do want to remind you to please make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice. You can also follow us on social media at PiecingPod and join our Facebook group, Piecing It Together, a movie discussion group. That's enough things for you guys to do before we get into the episode, so why don't we get into the episode? All right, so today on the show, we got back with us Josh Bell. How you doing, man? I'm great. Happy yeah? to be here. All right. Uh, we are talking about a movie that people are either loving or hating, as we were just talking about before we started rolling. Um, yes. This is going to be... Interesting, uh an interesting talk, because I know we are both on the uh, opposite ends of the spectrum a little I, bit. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> so the movie is called Vox Lux, and um, yeah, it, it, it's a it's a weird one, and uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit, but, um, you know, as we get into these puzzle pieces, we'll get into more about what we liked and didn't like and all yeah. that. Um, we, you know, before we do jump into the first puzzle piece, I just want to ask you, You know, I hadn't seen any trailers for this movie. Like, I I, I knew it was a thing, you know? I knew it was a movie that was coming. I knew it had a little bit of buzz and whatnot. Um... But I barely knew what it was going into it. Did you have more of an idea? like?
1: I mean, I had a little idea. I think I saw a trailer, mm-hmm. an early sort of short, maybe teaser trailer, yeah. that was incredibly misleading. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I had read enough about it to know that it would be very weird and off-putting. Mm-hmm. And I went in... Uh, with a couple, well, uh, with one uh, Jacob Toronto, who is a, a former uh, and maybe future podcast yeah. co-host here, yep. uh, and a friend of his, and uh, Jacob's friend is a huge Natalie Portman fan, mm-hmm. and was like, "Oh, I really want to see that movie where Natalie Portman plays Lady Gaga." Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> he definitely did not get what he expected. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, I knew it would be kind of strange and mm. and off-putting. I wasn't. I think I didn't know exactly like in what way it would do that. But I definitely didn't expect like this big Natalie Portman pop star spectacle. And I think that's what maybe people are expecting. And that's why it's turning off a lot of general audiences. And that really is, I I feel like what I was sold in the one trailer I watched, but maybe there were
0: longer trailers that, that gave you a better idea of what it really is. Okay, right on. Well, you know, with that, we might as well jump in. What is your first puzzle piece?
1: Well, OK, so speaking of, of off-putting and unpleasant, uh, um, I'm going to start with Gus Van Zandt's Elephant, okay. uh, which is, uh, of course, a movie that was uh, directly inspired by the Columbine school shooting. Mm-hmm. And Vox Lux opens with an extremely violent and unpleasant wow. school shooting <laughs> yes, it does. sequence. And and I mean, I I, I think... Uh, the director here, Brady Corbett, uh, owes a lot to weird art house auteurs yeah. like Gus Van Sant. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think Elephant also is a movie that is trying hard to make the audience uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, it's been a little while since I saw it. But I think un- unlike this, which opens right away or almost right away with this this extreme violence elephant takes a really long time to build up to that violence, but is, is making you kind of uncomfortable and, uh, weirdly off put along the way. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and this, this movie does that even aside from that big violence scene at the beginning, I think it is all about making the audience uncomfortable and, sort of off their guard. <laughs> yeah. um, and and that's very much... Elephant is another movie, I think, that at the time and probably even now, if people see it, is very much a love it Or hate it. Oh,
0: for sure. Film. Uh,
1: I remember uh, Mike D'Angelo, who's a a critic who used to uh, write for us at Las Vegas Weekly and uh, writes for the AV Club and various places online. uh, Yeah, I think has has sometimes named that like the worst movie he's ever seen. (laughs) Um, And uh, so, and and I don't know if I really like that movie, but I think like like Vox Lux. I find it interesting, even if I don't actually like it or feel like it succeeds at what it what it sets out to do
0: right. that's fair because, yeah, I think that this is a movie that you know, like it or not this is this is a movie that's difficult to like, yes, but you know if you do like it like I did it, it's definitely it's um it's very off-putting it very much has just an incredible feeling of dread throughout the whole thing and you know, I think um just to jump right into my first puzzle piece, I was gonna do this one later, but I think it's it, ties in really well with Elephant. Um, that actually would have been a great one. I was kind of thinking of a... Uh, more of not just a specific movie, but like a feeling. And I was thinking of movies that just put like an extreme sense of dread on you. Yeah. Through the whole thing, where it's like, it's almost hard to pay attention to the rest of the movie because you're just like, Jesus Christ, what's going to happen now? You know? Right, right. And I mean, a few a few examples I had um, were uh, A History of Violence, uh, Mother, which is, of course, a little too new for this. But, yeah. uh And then also the music video, This is America, or Childish Gambino. Oh, okay. Where yeah. you're just like, like okay, that just happened. What the hell is <laughs> going to happen now? Yeah, you know? yeah. And you never really quite know where it's going to go, and it really kind of keeps you on edge a lot of the time. I think as difficult as that is, that's kind of what I liked so much about it. Like, I mean, through the whole movie and then even the car ride home, I was still thinking about that opening shooting. Yeah. And I'm just like, like, God damn it. Like <laughs> that was terrible. Like, yeah. You know? And right. uh, it, it, it puts like a, a sense of, I guess the word is, it puts a sense of dread over the rest of what's happening. Yeah. And, um, so I, I think there are other movies that do that. Obviously elephant was a great one to add to that list, Um, but yeah, yeah, that's my first puzzle piece. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I think that sense of dread, and it was interesting to me because... There's so much of that sense of dread that's then reinforced later. Not only is there the shooting at the beginning, but then they they directly deal with 9-11. Yeah, tragedy follows her career every step. And there's that other terrorist shooting later. Mm -hmm. And and to the point where watching the final scene, that interminable uh, concert scene, (laughs) which I couldn't wait for it to end. But also, I kept waiting for there to be like a bombing or a shooting (laughs) or something that just never... (laughs) friggin' happened. So, yeah, I mean, as you can tell, I found this movie very frustrating, but but I, I do think it very effectively creates that sense of, like,
0: Something bad is always around the corner. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what was your next puzzle? Piece? Well, getting getting away from the dread for a oh, second. Oh, okay. Well, maybe, I was maybe. gonna
1: I was gonna stick with the dread. Okay, but I go can... for
0: more dread. Let's, okay. keep, let's keep it down. That we maybe we'll bring it off <laughs> a bit as we
1: go. So, well, I really I, I just have one more that that specifically relates to that. Okay. Uh, well, actually, I, I take that back. I have two more. <laughs> but but let's the the one that most specifically relates to that is uh, we need to talk about Kevin, mm. um, which is a movie that that's a non linear story. So it kind of it both opens with, uh, you know, something bad happening and then builds to that something bad happening over the course of the movie as you kind of fill in the gaps of what exactly has happened. Um, but that is a movie, that's a movie that I really like, but yeah. that, like you said, like this movie, I think is very hard to like yeah. and a lot of people really, really dislike. Um, and, and uh, but I think like, like this movie, it, it gives you the sense that like, this character who you would think is like a a, a sympathetic sort of, I, I don't know, uh, audience not ident- maybe not audience identification character, but the, the kind of character that like a mainstream movie would have you always root for. Someone you want to like. Someone you want to like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like the, the famous pop star. Yeah. Or in that case, it's like the mother who is protective of her son. Yeah. And it just spends the whole movie grinding down your instinct to like this person until yeah. by the end you just loathe them as much as you possibly can. Sure. Um but yeah, that's a movie that I felt like the whole time I was just like on edge of like what what is happening and when is the next awful revelation going to come? And yeah. I I think that movie does that a lot better than this one does.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I definitely, you know, get what you say what yeah. you're saying there. That that makes a lot of sense. Um you know, I, I might as well just keep it in the same uh, vein, and because uh, I think after this next one, I'll uh, I'll be getting a little away from the dread with at least my picks. All right. Um, but uh, uh Taxi Driver. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, we we've got this uh this character whose mental state is you know always on edge. There's no no telling where it's going to go, how dark it's going to get. Um, of course, it goes in a little bit of a different direction because I, even though there's all this uh you know darkness and pain behind the scenes, I mean, she's still. Puts on that long concert at yeah, the end, and yeah. she's there for her fans, and right. so she's clearly keeping it together at least on one uh, one aspect of her life. Um, but still, I mean, this has been a good year for that kind of a movie of people falling apart. With yeah. first reformed, uh, you know, uh, you, you were, uh, you were never really here, yeah. Uh, which is uh, same director, right? As, uh, we need to talk. As about we need Kevin. to talk about Kevin, yes. yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, no, that 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 kind of movie that that deals with. Uh, with, with somebody's you know their their mental state deteriorating throughout the film um and in this case we see from you know the early early young years was she 13 or something the beginning of the yeah, movie yeah yeah like straight that. to being a totally uh just kind of strung out you know adult you right know? Yeah. yeah um but uh yeah the uh, taxi driver is my next puzzle piece right i i can i can see that and th- that is that is a maybe a running
1: theme this year of these these people who are are just like seemingly on the verge of snapping at yeah. all times <laughs> uh, maybe that's you know reflective of some uh, time that we're living in or it's a coincidence yeah maybe that'd be both. true. yeah <laughs> um, so well we can get away from the dread then okay. and uh, I will go with uh, probably the most obvious pick especially given the way this movie is marketed which is a star is born um, absolutely and and of course not the current, version would not be an influence here, um, although there are definite parallels to the current version. Um, But I think the version of A Star is Born that I most thought of when watching this movie is the Judy Garland version from 1954, Mm -hmm. um, where... It is Even though Judy Judy Garland, I think, was in her 30s when she made that movie, um, it is very much reflective of Judy Garland's life and the sort of extra textual awareness that people had about her where she had been completely strung out, you know, drugs and alcohol. And this was a time where she was like... It was a sort of a comeback for her, and she was getting her act back together. Right, so even right. though the character in that movie, her or Judy Garland's character, is the the more kind of together one versus James Mason, who's the one who's a drunk and falls apart, of course, as A Star is Born goes, sure. um, I think there's a reflection of that, you know, someone who became famous at a too young age and couldn't handle the pressures and just, you know, kind of snapped under a lot of things that she was going through. Right. And, then, and then, of course, from the movie, itself itself, Celeste in this movie is almost like both characters in A Star is Born combined.
0: Absolutely. I was thinking the same thing. I had it as a puzzle piece as well. I was thinking she's kind of both together. Yeah. Yeah.
1: She's, I mean, she's the sort of young, fresh-faced, kind of innocent and naive at the beginning of this movie, up-and-comer who... Jude Law takes under his wing and he could maybe sort of be that, you yeah. know, older male figure from A Star is Born. But then you flip it around and she is then the veteran, bitter, you know, addict yeah. who she doesn't have a protege, but she has her daughter who she's kind of trying to to mold and to steer away from the bad decisions that she's made. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think that, I mean, this is a movie that people who liked A Star is Born may be going to see oh, and, <laughs> and hating, um, but it certainly is is related.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I did have that as well. I had A Star is Born on my list. You know, and I would say also, um, as, as much as talking about, in, you know, movies inspired by, uh, I do think it's possible the new one may have inspired it, just in the fact that there was a new A Star is Born coming right. out and, when yeah. you know, coming up with ideas for, you know, a new movie. It is a, you know, a pretty. A pretty smart form of counter programming, kind yeah. of. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, but yeah, the newest Star is Born actually has quite a bit of darkness as well. It so does, maybe, yeah. Maybe people yeah. are uh, going to get used to a whole bunch of awfulness. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, all right. Well, my next puzzle piece, um, which I guess does stick with more uh, mental breakdowns, but uh-huh. uh, is Birdman. Okay. Um, so, and, and, and that's mainly because of the. Uh, Uh, the whole backstage life of this character. I mean, this movie, once we get away from teenage Celeste and get to her as an adult, the whole movie is taking place in the course of one day uh, leading up to uh, Press Junket, and it's her basically... it's almost if this was a real person, this celeste a real pop star you it is almost like a behind the scenes look into her life, yeah. you know, and um which kind of is what Birdman is the whole time. It's this behind the scenes before this play is gonna happen, and uh all of the shit he's going through right. and just that that constant feeling of uh there's an inadequacy and and a uh a feeling of of nobody is gonna take him seriously, you know which celeste. You know, feels her, her self-esteem at this point in her life seems to be totally down, despite right. being able to turn it on for the fans once yeah. she actually does get out there. Yeah, um, And so, yeah, that's why I saw Birdman as a potential uh, inspiration to this movie.
1: Yeah, and Birdman is, I mean, A, is a movie that I, I strongly dislike, but yeah. uh, but I mean, I think is also a movie that in some ways is trying to keep the, mo- the, the audience on edge yes. in a much more, like, inviting and friendly way. Fun way. Yeah, a fun way, <laughs> but the way that it's shot and that incredibly irritating drum score (laughs) in that movie, I think are both designed to kind of keep you in that heightened
0: state like yeah. when are they gonna cut and like you yeah. know the, the music that's just pounding in your brain birdman is another love or hate movie I yeah mean, a lot of people do hate that movie i loved it when it came out i haven't seen it since like the theater though
1: yeah i just i mean and that that director too i just i really <laughs> yeah. don't like anything that he does yeah. uh yeah but but you're right plenty of people love birdman and yeah. i can see that yeah. as a uh you know as a precursor to this
0: yeah it's it's a wild movie yeah for sure and this is pretty damn wild but this is a <laughs> More wild movie, yes, I think, than
1: Birdman. Uh, absolutely, and, and Birdman again, I think, ultimately ends up being kind of audience-friendly, despite mm. its its artsy touches. Yeah, whereas this one is really, again, I, it seems like. I wonder, you know, Brady Corbett would probably be proud of how many people have walked out yeah. of oh. screenings of
0: this movie. Yeah, I know. Like, I, I touched on Mother earlier. I think yeah. he probably fucking loved Mother. Yeah, you know yeah.
1: I mean? <laughs> yeah. I can see that. Yeah.
0: Um, um, what's your next puzzle? All
1: right. Piece? Well, so speaking of things that are very, very off-putting, oh, okay. um, my next puzzle piece is um, sort of a... I guess a group of films, but I picked a specifically uh, Dogville, mm-hmm. but also generally the films of Lars von Trier, yeah. um, who is someone that Brady Corbett has worked with as an actor. He was one of the stars of, um, okay, now it's blank. He might've actually been in Dogville. Um, no, no, Melancholia. He was in Melancholia. Yeah, he was in Melancholia for yeah. sure. Um, but Dogville I picked because it has that kind of uh, arch narration that this movie has with Willem Dafoe where it's like the movie is like being condescending to the audience as it <laughs> explains what is happening right and i think it's john hurt who does that narration in dogville um and lars von trier is very well known for having these uh vulnerable female characters that the movie then like tortures for 2 hours right, right. Uh, i mean dogville is, oh, is is literal torture for uh, uh nicole kidman's character where sure. she comes into this town and they basically just like Treat her like dirt for the entire movie. <laughs> um but and the other specific Von Trier movie that it reminded me of was Nymphomaniac, mm-hmm. um, which uh of course features Stacey Martin, who plays uh Celeste's sister in this movie. Um, and she plays the younger version of Charlotte Gainsbourg's character in uh in Nymphomaniac and that's is right. amazing in yeah. that movie. Um but that's another movie that has it's it's di- it's a different kind of narration. It's it's her, the main character kind of telling her own story and her Mm. flashbacks, but it's got like the chapter divisions. Yeah. And, and, and again, this kind of extremely off putting female character that the movie is just daring you to dislike. yeah, And and so I think Von Trier is clearly a very large influence on Brady Corbett.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it shows completely in every, every step of this movie, really. I'm, I'm interested to see, When he makes another movie, if it's going to go in a different direction or stay in that kind of a... uh uh, abrasive filmmaker, you right, know? right, um, and it's funny too. When you first said Dogville, I uh, I thought you said Dog Tooth, and I thought you were going oh. to go into Yorgos. Uh, well, Rampalos, that's that's which, a good
1: choice as well. Yeah,
0: I didn't write it as a puzzle piece, but I did think of his films, yeah. as, especially like The Killing of the Sacred Deer, which, yeah, which uh, Raffi Cassidy is in. Oh, yeah, um, but uh, th- another another filmmaker who clearly loves uh, just filling their audience yeah. <laughs> with uncertainty. Yeah, just like, yeah. You know, um, but yeah, no, that, that's absolutely the Lars von Trier seems to be all over what he's trying to go for as yeah. a filmmaker yeah. now. Um Sure, uh, that's a good one uh you were just talking about the chapter division, so I will use that as a segue right. to my next puzzle piece, which is the narration in Wes Anderson films. Oh, okay. <laughs> because Willem Dafoe's narration just sounds like it's taken directly out of a Wes Anderson yeah. film. Um, and I, I was trying to remember, I, I should have looked it up beforehand, whether or not he did actually narrate any of his. I think he might have. It's possible. It seems yeah. like something that, that yeah. Wes Anderson would do. <laughs> and it has that same bit of... Uh, almost meta, like, kind of Making fun of what's happening as yeah. it's happening, despite it, not so much in Wes Anderson's films, but in this, you know what's happening is quite dark and whatnot. But still, that it seems like most of the comedic elements of this film come from that voiceover during the yeah. chapters, um, yeah. which is a, a pretty interesting way of adding a little bit of comic relief to an otherwise very heavy movie. Right. Um, but yeah, just the stylings, the way that he talked and the way that it was uh, presented, uh, it very much reminded me of wes anderson's narration which is very much a thing um i'm sure someone who's a little more uh knowledgeable in film than me could tell me who uh wes anderson's stealing that from (laughs) but uh, you know still i i I associate it with him i think
1: there are a lot of maybe like french new wave filmmakers who use like uh i use narration um i i i'm not going to cite any specific movies right now because Uh I probably would be wrong, (laughs) but that's definitely a thing. And I think French new wave is a big influence on Wes Anderson. Sure. Um, But yeah, obviously Wes Anderson movies generally a lot lighter than this one. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I found that narration just so pedantic (laughs) and it just really irritated me. And it was interesting because I was reading like on Wikipedia that I guess, I don't know who or what it was, but that he had a different narrator and that he was like dissatisfied with and he brought Willem Dafoe in at the last minute to replace it. Huh. So I don't know what or how that would have worked differently. I mean, I, I, I would have preferred it without, but, yeah. you know, that's, that's <laughs> I, many different things I would have preferred in this movie. Um, <laughs> so, um, well, I'll stick with, with things that are off-putting and, and also just kind of a general body of work. Um, specifically the movie The White Ribbon and in general the works of Michael Haneke, mm-hmm. who is another director that Brady Corbett has worked with yeah. as the one of the stars of the English language version of Funny Games, yep. which is possibly the most uncomfortable film I have ever seen. Sure. Um yeah. which but which I love, which yeah. I think is an, an incredibly well made film. Yeah. And and Brady Corbett is very good in it. Yeah. Um but the White Ribbon in particular, because it's a another movie with with this kind of uh arch narration going for it, uh, from an omniscient narrator and, and also a movie about, uh, sort of strange violence of young people, uh, kind of metastasizing into a statement about the state of the world. And I mean, in that, in that movie, it is the rise of fascism in Germany before World War II, um, but in a very oblique way. And I think this movie too is obliquely kind of referring to, it's called, what is it? A 21st century portrait is like yeah, the yeah. little subtitle that he puts on it. Mm-hmm. And and I think he's, he's very much trying to tie this narcissistic pop music obsession to some sort of... Uh, cancer in our society, which I thought was total bullshit, but I definitely think that's what he's going for here, okay. especially with the, the terrorism connections and the, you know, the shots of the world trade center and, and even the narration that is, is got this kind of smug tone of like, see where our society has gone. Right. right, You know, and I think Hanneke has, been accused of being very smug by a lot of people. Sure. And and I generally like his movies and I like his very, very bleak view of humanity. And I think he's maybe a little more detached, whereas this movie is, is a little more invested in kind of trying to re, like get you to feel something. Sure. Um, but there's a definite connection there, I think.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it, this is clearly an actor who turned director is you know, inspired by the the directors he worked with. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, you know, not obviously we've talked throughout this whole episode so far about how this is a very love it or hated movie. Um I feel like I don't get that particular connection you were just talking about okay. with, with the um with the uh pop music tied to to the you know decline of society and whatnot. Yeah. To me it's almost like two separate stories that just are uh, happening uh, in tandem with, with uh, this this rise and fall of a pop star, and like seeing that in a way that's never really been shown on a on a film before, and the story about uh like just total just like grief and just like awful things happening to people, you know what I mean? And it's kind of like two separate things that don't really fully relate to each other yeah which i could see that also being considered not a good right. thing i feel like if
1: they don't yeah. relate it's yeah. almost worse right it,
0: well it, it certainly gives it a little bit of like a nihilistic like what's the point right um, and i guess i just kind of like that yeah <laughs> you know what i mean
1: I- I I yeah. mean I generally like that too uh-huh. and and like I said I mean it's weird like I didn't like this movie but things that I'm citing that are considered very nihilistic and off-putting like yeah. like we need to talk about Kevin or Lars von Trier movies or Michael Haneke movies I do generally like you yeah. know um but but I just feel like this didn't succeed at what a lot of those mm-hmm. other movies Aim for mm. and and try to do, and and succeed at. I mean, and maybe that's because this is his second film, and and at least von Trier and and Haneke have made you know dozens of films over long careers, sure, sure. and you know to get to the point where they have this greater command of what they're doing. Yeah, at
0: um, well, he's, he's certainly aiming high with this. Yes, thing, that is know? true.
1: That is true. Yeah.
0: Um, okay. I I actually only have one more puzzle piece here. Um, okay, and it is uh, it's a pretty obvious one, and it is Black Swan. Ah, uh,
1: yes, I had that as well. Yeah. yeah.
0: So... <laughs> uh black swan uh darren aronofsky's film that natalie portman i believe won the oscar for right i think if not she
1: should have yeah
0: and (laughs) and, uh also a very dark film also a film about the mental unraveling of this uh this performer and uh there's so much of her performance from that in this yes uh, just with a very different story behind it and uh different style as well um you know aronofsky has he does what he does you know what i mean it's a very specific thing uh whereas this this director may be a little kind of in different places like i was just saying yeah you know multiple different threads that aren't really connected but um but yeah no definitely a different style i would say and a different story but a uh, very similar though in the performance i think
1: Right. And and actually, like uh, Black Swan has the theme of the doppelganger. Mm-hmm. And this movie uses the, which I didn't really understand or appreciate, but definitely the on-purpose device of having Rafi Cassidy play both right. young Celeste and then later on Celeste's daughter. So there's yeah. a sort of
0: doppelganger <laughs> thing going on in this movie as well. Pe- people are really mad about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I, I mean, there was like one little tiny line of Willem Dafoe's uh, uh, voiceover that told you that. Um, if I hadn't heard that, I don't think I would have had any idea what was happening. Like that it was it said, the it same. said, like she went down to the lobby to meet her daughter. Oh, that it was her daughter. It, yeah, oh. and, and if it wasn't for that line, like I think I would have been like, "What the hell is happening here? Oh. Why, why is she there now?" You yeah, know? <laughs> I mean, it was
1: interesting because to me, while I was watching it, I think I did I heard that line, so I understood yeah. that it was meant to be her daughter. Yeah, but I was like wait a minute, I think that's the same actor. Yeah. And I wasn't 100% sure yeah. the whole time, which is a good testament to Rafi Cassidy's performance. Uh-huh. But then at the end of the movie, and of course, because this idiotic movie has all the credits at the beginning, <laughs> and there's no cast list at the end of the movie. Um, so I couldn't figure it out. And so I was talking to the people I was with, and I was like, I think, wasn't that the same actress as the young Celeste and as the daughter? And they're like, no, that's crazy. That's, they totally didn't see that at all. So I felt really sort of confused about what was happening there. But then I looked it up and I was right. That's um,
0: hilarious.
1: Yeah, it is it is it is confusing in mm. a way that again, I feel like a lot of what I'm saying about this movie is that like it goes for something that I kind of like admire the reach mm. but does not work. And this was another thing. I was trying to think of if there's another movie and I'm sure there is where that kind of thing happens, where an actor plays a a, a young version of a character and then later on plays that character's child. Right. I'm sure that's
0: happened. I'm sure I've seen it as well. Um, I I cannot think of if I think of one, I'm going to interrupt. Okay. Yeah, yeah, please do (laughs) because I don't. So I have two more,
1: although one of which is, is pretty connected to black Swan related to Natalie Portman performances. And that's Jackie, Mm -hmm. Um, which as, as a movie, I mean, actually, that is a movie also that's kind of off-putting to some people. Sure. And I mean, the specific thing about that movie that I wanted to mention is Natalie Portman's accent, mm, yeah, which yeah. It, both in this movie and in that movie, she's doing a very extreme accent, <laughs> oh, let's yeah. say. Yeah. Um, and, and that put a lot of people off about Jackie. And to me, I really liked that in Jackie. I felt mm. like it was... It was true to you know the real person that she was portraying, yeah. and it really brought something to her performance and gave you a sense of who this person was and and how she kind of carried herself yeah. and the way she was an outsider in the world that she lived in and everything. Um, whereas in this
0: movie, I just found that accent super super annoying. Yeah, and so it it very much is, but in the same way that what you're talking about with Jackie, like I do think it makes sense for her accent. And the reason why, I mean, this character is kind of like a combination of a Britney Spears, of a Lady Gaga, of a Madonna, and especially Lady Gaga and Madonna. I mean, they talk with any given year, it's a different accent. Right. You know what I mean? and yeah. I could see this being one of their kind of bullshitty accents, you know what I mean? So to me, it made sense that she would have, a, you know, maybe if we were catching up with her in the following year of her life, it would be more British, you, yeah. know, what, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it made sense to me.
1: I guess. I mean, I think Natalie Portman has said, like, she studied, it's like, she's the characters from this very specific area of Staten Island, uh-huh. and she studied that accent. So I think it is meant to be like, the character's accent of where she comes from, but maybe yeah. an exaggerated version. <laughs> and I mean, I, I, in the same interview, Natalie Portman talks about, like, why do we value naturalistic acting so much? Like, movies are a fantasy. And I think that's a totally fair thing to say. And yeah. I don't disagree with her. I mean, I think I like watching older movies a lot. And a lot of people watch older movies, and they can't get past the way that actors acted in yeah. the thirties and the forties or whatever. Yeah. But I love that. I mean, I love like Betty Davis is my favorite actor and there's no, almost no Betty Davis performance that you could call naturalistic in any right, way. Right. So I'm totally okay with that. I just felt like, again, in this movie, yeah. the way that they did it just made me want to slap that character in the face and tell her to shut <laughs> the
0: fuck up. I, uh, <laughs> I understand. I understand. I'm sure everybody listening understands as well. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, so, okay, so I'll have one more thing, um, and then that's that's all I've got. And my sure. last thing is uh, Stop Making Sense, um, which is Jonathan Demme's Talking Heads concert movie. And this movie is actually dedicated to Jonathan Demme uh, in yeah. the closing credits, um, who I don't know in, in in an overall body of work that I see so much as a Brady Corbett influence. but But Stop Making Sense, which... is is considered by a lot of people to be like the greatest concert film of all time. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you can draw parallels there with just that long, long stretch at the end of this movie that is essentially just a concert. Yeah. That there are a handful of reaction shots of characters, but for the most part, we're just seeing Celeste perform. And that's something that Jonathan Demi captured you know, very cinematically in that movie that a lot of concert movies don't accomplish. I
0: don't know if I've ever actually seen that. Uh, maybe I've seen clips of it or something. Yeah. But...
1: I mean, I'm not a particular Talking Heads uh-huh. fan. And um, I, as a cinematic achievement, it's it's one of those movies that I feel like is is worth seeing. I mean, if you're a fan of the band, then absolutely you should right, see that movie. Right. Um, But if you're kind of indifferent to their music, it's worth seeing because... It is such a landmark concert movie, but at the same time, I think that's one of those movies that is so influential that you watch it now and you're like, what is special about this movie?
0: Right. right. (laughs) Yeah, I know what that's like.
1: But... but specifically seeing Demi's name in the credits of this movie, I thought, well, clearly he must have seen that and, right. and and must have thought of it. And Demi made several concert movies over the course of his career, but that is the most famous and also the only one I've seen.
0: <laughs> you know, the one thing that I, I I will criticize, I did I didn't love her songs. Like in, yeah. in a year when like a star is born, like I love the soundtrack to Right, a Star is Born. Um, I would have liked for her songs to be a little better. I, I guess Sia wrote them. Um which yeah. I'm not really familiar with her music very much, but uh but yeah, no, her her songs were very like the most generic of pop style of song. <laughs> yeah, I and, and I couldn't
1: tell, like, Sia is known, I mean, is an artist in her own right, but is also, like, a very, very prolific songwriter for other, like, big pop stars. Yeah, yeah. And so I think she's known for being really good at being kind of a chameleon, mm-hmm. you know, being able to go say, okay, I'm going to write a Rihanna song for Rihanna that sounds like Rihanna.
0: Right. You know,
1: right. and so bringing her in to write songs that sound like they come from this character, I think, is is a smart that move. That makes sense, yeah. But, but yeah, they it did seem like they were trying trying to be as generic as possible, again, as an artistic choice. And there's the line at one point where she says, like, I don't want people to think or be challenged. Yeah, I just want yeah. them to have fun. And like, I found myself during that concert sequence, like not even paying attention to the songs because <laughs> they, they didn't seem to have any meaning to them. Right, Whereas right. in A Star is Born, you're, you're paying attention to the lyrics of all those songs because they tell you a lot about the characters, yeah, what yeah. they're thinking, what their emotions are. And this to me was almost like the opposite. Yes, like, absolutely. And, and that was what made that last sequence so so annoying because it was like, well, I don't care about these songs. And the movie <laughs> furthermore has like conditioned me to not care about these songs. Yeah. And yet is making me listen to them for 15 minutes with no other thing
0: happening. Every like 30 seconds. I thought the credits were going to start. Rolling. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? I or the, the bomb was going to go off. Yeah, that was what bomb. I really expected. Or yeah. the bomb. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. On This is uh let's, let's do our, uh, our final puzzle here. Uh, so we've got elephant, We've got movies with a sense of dread. I had uh, as a couple examples were Mother, A History of Violence, and the This Is America music video. Also, got we need to talk about Kevin, A Star Is Born, Birdman, uh, Dogville, and the films of Lars von Trier, uh, The White Ribbon, and the films of Michael Haneke, uh, Wes Anderson's narration, Black Swan, Jackie, and Stop Making Sense. Um, so. Obviously, we all know where we <laughs> each fall on this yeah. movie. But uh, any, you know, any closing thoughts about it? Any things that you thought about it that didn't really get a chance to bring up? Uh, you know, weirdly enough. I think uh, the more that we've talked about this movie,
1: the less I like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the more that I'm kind of delving into these influences, and say, well, here this movie did something that I thought was really interesting and good, and I liked, and how <laughs> Vox Lux kind of like bungles that. Uh-huh. So, no, I think I've I've trashed this movie more than enough. Uh-huh. Uh, I think the my favorite part of this movie was walk, watching people walk out of the theater.
0: <laughs> I I I do find fun in that. Yeah, I absolutely do. Um, yeah, this is like i've said many times this is very love it or hate it this is not a movie to even bother trying to talk people into liking <laughs> you know what i mean it's if if it works for you it works if it doesn't it doesn't um obviously you know looking out there into the uh you, you know the film loving world there, there does seem to be people who share my sentiment but it certainly a lot of people hate this movie yeah. and uh for very uh, understandable reasons, you know? <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. say not.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I can understand also why people would be drawn to this movie because it is a singular experience and it is a movie that is really ambitious. Yeah. And and I appreciate that. I mean, I, I, I would rather see a movie like that that I came out of disliking than a movie like uh, Second Act starring Jennifer Lopez, which I just <laughs> recently saw, where I... Disliked it just as much, but no one in that movie is doing anything more than the absolute basic right. necessities to get the movie finished. Absolutely, <laughs>
0: yeah, that, that's that's a fair assessment. Yeah, <laughs> well, right on. Uh, I think uh, I think that about does it. Um, so, do you have anything you'd like to plug, and also do you have anything you'd like to recommend?
1: Uh, well, you know, my plugs are the same as always. You can follow me on social media uh, at SignalBleed on Twitter, uh, Josh Bell Hates Everything on Facebook. Go to JoshBellHatesEverything.com. Uh, watch me on Channel 13 here in Vegas, uh, Fridays at 11.15 in the morning and Sundays at 6.30 p.m. Uh, the thing I will plug is a movie that uh, I'm not sure what the status of its release will be as this podcast is out. It's... Uh, Coming out in limited release in theaters uh, as of the end of December and eventually will be on Amazon Prime because it's an Amazon Studios film. And that is uh, Pavel Pavlikowski's Cold War, which Mm -hmm. is one of my favorite movies of 2018, uh, even though most people will probably not see it until 2019. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely just gorgeous passionate, incredibly well-acted romance, uh, partly inspired by his parents, uh, that takes place during the Cold War, about these two musicians, Polish musicians, who have this very volatile relationship over the course of 15 or so years as they go back and forth across the Iron Curtain and engage in other relationships, but they just have this sort of animal passion for each other that they're always drawn to. Uh, It's shot in black and white in the Academy Ratio, so kind of a 4-3 look, similar to uh, the director's previous Film Ida, which I don't know if people have seen, but is also just fantastic and and just like emotionally will wreck you. Um, so yeah, wherever it's playing or not playing at the moment, I hope people will go see it.
0: Nice. Yeah, I've heard a lot of great things about it. So yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing it. Right on. Well, uh, as always, thanks for being here, Josh. Yeah, thanks for having do me. Do it again soon. Sounds good. Why didn't the three little pigs go in for some kind of flat share scheme? Does Jesus get to choose which wine he turns it into? Why don't sims have the upper body strength to climb out of a swimming pool? And does everybody really want to be a cat? I'm Will Baker. And I'm Alex Prescott. And if you're the type of person that overthinks these deep philosophical questions, then Think to the Brink is the podcast for you.
1: From Disney characters to song lyrics, debates to social etiquette,
0: tune in every week for your dose of paralysis by analysis. All topic suggestions are welcome. If you can think it... We can overthink it. Think to the Brink. Available on all podcast platforms. All right. So that does it for today's episode of Piecing It Together on Vox Lux. Thanks, Josh Bell, for being here. However, if you are like me and you loved this movie, um, you're going to want to stay tuned. Later this week, we're doing a second episode on Vox Lux. That's right. Friend of the show, Chris Cranach, uh, he... Really loved this movie. Um, I think it was his number one favorite movie of 2018. And uh, so I invited him over to discuss why it's so great. And that way we could do a little bit of a rebuttal kind of episode, kind of like what we did with Serenity a, a couple months ago. So uh, yeah. More Vox Lux coming to you later this week, so I hope you check this movie out because, you know, like we talk about through the episode, you know, it's not an easy movie, but, I mean, I enjoyed it so much. Well, enjoy is a strange word to use with a movie like this, but I liked it so much, Uh, and uh, so I think it's definitely a movie that's worth talking about for two full episodes, so look forward to that. As always, I want to remind you to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, TuneIn Radio, and a whole bunch of other podcast apps. You could also rate and review us on iTunes, which would be amazing if you did. Uh, It really helps in getting up in the rankings. Or maybe it doesn't. I mean, who knows? I really don't know if it actually does help anything. But I would still appreciate it if you did it. You could also join us on our Piecing It Together, a movie discussion group. And uh, what else could you do? You sign up for our mailing list over on piecingpod.com. Just go watch a whole bunch of movies and then come listen to our episodes on those movies. That would be the greatest thing that you could do for us. Um, I guess that does it for today. I, like I said, I wanted to get this episode up, so that way I could also, you know, first of all, I mean, this episode's been waiting for so long to get posted, so I'm glad to finally have it up. And then, because we did this follow-up episode that's coming up later this week with Chris, I, I wanted to get both of them up, and that way Vox Lux can finally be talked about on Piecing It Together, so I'm glad it is. If there's any movies coming up that you guys are uh, interested in Maybe joining me for get in touch. I I just put a uh, list of upcoming movies in the Piecing It Together movie discussion group and uh, I already have like three new people who have never been on the show who want to be on the show, and want to talk about puzzle pieces and talk about movies and their inspirations and all that stuff. I'm open to getting all kinds of new people on the show. I, I love having all of our regulars on, and I'm going to continue having them on, but uh, I love getting new voices on the show as well. So get in touch if there's a movie coming up that you maybe would want to come join me for. So uh, that does it. I'm going to leave you guys with a piece of music. And so, you know, Vox Lux, it's, you know, a pop singer movie, so uh, here's actually a piece of music that I made for a project where I needed to make music that sounded like something that a pop singer would be singing over, so I think it's a good fit for this episode, right? This isn't something that I've ever actually released, Uh, it's just, you know, from one of the various projects that I've been hired to do music for. Uh, So yeah, there's no name for it or anything like that, Uh, but it's just a piece of my instrumental music that I have been hired for. So enjoy it, and uh, it's got a little bit of a Lady Gaga feel, to be honest. But uh, So maybe I should have played it on the A Star is Born episode, but hey, same difference Celeste, Allie, whatever. Enjoy the music, and we'll be back later this week with another episode on Vox Lux. <music>